Jerusalem as David's son. Absalom comes in and takes over um, the city. And David flees, and he flees with whomever might come with him. And so David leaves Jerusalem. He goes down the hill, across the Kidron Valley, across to the Mount of Olives, and up and over the Mount of Olives. This is the route of his departure. And he fled in great sorrow. He fled not only in great sorrow, but with many people mocking him. Imagine that, the king and many of your People of, the, people of the kingdom were mocking you. The most notable one is a guy by the name of Shimei. And Shimei, you can find him in 2 Samuel 16.5. But listen to, here's the king fleeing for his life with a ragtag group of people um, who are going to remain loyal to him. And it says, when King David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, and the, the son of Gera. And he came and he cursed continually. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you. You are a man of blood. And so David is fleeing and people are cursing, throwing rocks at him. So he leaves being mocked and with great sorrow. He's betrayed by his son. He is cursed by those who had been loyal. And so you can see with that, the opening for us, our opening line, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. It's interesting here. Um, just kind of go grammar geek on you. It's a participle here. In other words, many are right. They are rising. It's an increasing number of people coming against me. It's not the static group of people who are opposed to me, but more and more and more people are coming against me. Every time I turn around, there's a new foe who has risen up against me. Many, they are increasing. And they are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Your sin is too great. Your actions are irreparable. They can never be atoned for. No, This is what we saw, Shimei. Your sins have come back on you. You are cursed by God. Heaven has abandoned you. Your sins have caught up with you. Not even God will come to your aid. How many are my foes that are rising against me and saying of my soul that not even heaven has a place for me. God will not come to my aid. Many foes about me, he certainly wonders, who can be trusted? How many are of my foes? They are increasing. They are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for you and God. God has abandoned you. This is the setting of the psalm. And note the first Selah, it's a pause. So what I want us to do is I want to pause. For just a few moments, I want us to reflect upon our current trials. You may have not been abandoned by your son. Your son may not be trying to murder you today. But you may be estranged from your children or grandchildren for something maybe you did, maybe you didn't do, maybe a false accusation, unfair treatment by a boss or coworkers, classmates, betrayal by a friend, 
Let's just spend just a few moments thinking about our current trial, if we are in one. Think about our current trial. Let's spend a few moments in quiet reflection. Now, my purpose in pausing there and having us think about our trial is not so that we can um, be more depressed. But I want you to know that it's in that setting, it's in that setting that this psalm gives hope. I want you to realize the setting. I want you to think about your setting because it is in that circumstance that this psalm gives hope. Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Say, La, but you, O Lord. But you, O Lord. I would call this the, um, the big shift. But you, O Lord, but God. Maybe the two greatest words in all of the Bible are, but God. But you, O Lord, and now the focus shifts. Notice the shift. It goes from David focusing upon his many foes to being fixated upon the God in heaven. I want you to know that when we gaze too long at the enemy, they become bigger and stronger and we become less hopeful. When we focus on our anxiety, the the things that cause us grief and fear and discomfort, they become bigger and bigger and bigger, and God becomes smaller and smaller. But you need to take careful note of the big shift. But God, I think a great example here are the uh, when we are in the book of Numbers is the the twelve spies, right? The twelve spies go into the land, and what do they notice? They notice that the people are really big and well armed and well-trained, and they have big cities with big walls. And they come back and say, you know what? They're well-armed, well-trained, big people, big cities, big walls, well-defended. And two of them said, but God. But God. Yeah, the, the, the two, Joshua and Caleb, didn't deny the reality of the promised land. They didn't deny the reality of the presence of big, well-armed military. They did not deny the presence of well-fortified cities. They did not deny any of that. They just said, but God, God has promised us this. And so their eyes were not on how large and how unscalable were the walls of the city, but they saw that God is in heaven. And so when thoughts turn heavenward, we gain a new perspective, don't we? So how many are my foes? They're saying there's no salvation but God. You are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. What confidence, what confidence David now has in the God of heaven. And here we see 
God is described and the benefits that flow from him to David. David now recounts, I know who you are and I recognize the benefits that flow from you. The first thing is, is that you are a shield. And I don't need to know, think that we need to go into great detail about the, the understanding of a shield. It is a protect. God is my protector. It's used throughout this word shield is used throughout the book of Psalms as some, as, as, as that which protects us. But I don't want us to miss also the covenant origins of this word. Because it goes back to Abram. When God was making it, when God made a, a covenant promise with Abram, he says this, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. And so David not only sees God as his protective, but he is reminded that I am in covenant relationship with the living and holy God. I am his and he is mine. He is our God and we are his people. He is my shield. He does protect us. So it's tied to the covenant promise made to Abraham. And then, not only, God, are you my shield, but you are my glory. Now, now I have to say that I had to think about this for a while and study this a little bit longer because this wasn't as self-explanatory to me. What does that mean, my glory? Oftentimes when we think about glory, we think about the glory of God, right? God is glorious, and we, glory has to do with weight or something that is, uh, has value. You're my glory, So what's that all about? Well, I think Psalm chapter 8, verse 5 does help us a little bit. Psalm chapter 8 is a, is a wonderful, wonderful psalm. And it says this. Um, I'll go to verse 3. Uh, basically, David is looking into the heavens and he sees the beauty and splendor of God. And he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man? that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You are my glory. In Psalm chapter 5, glory is just basic human dignity. David understands that his dignity, his honor, his reputation are being attacked. But he says, you are my glory. You are my reputation. My worth is not in found in public opinion. It is not in what Absalom or the people say about me, but what the word of God says about me. We're going to sing a song at the end of this service that says, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Who we are in Christ he is our, our reputation. My reputation is not found in what my boss thinks about me or my friends or anything else. It is, what does the Word of God say? Man, what a great... David is encouraging his soul, but God, I'm looking at my enemies, but God's my shield. He's, his, my reputation before Him is fixed. He sent His Son and died for my sins. That's good. My value is found there. And by the way, the accusations were true. Shimei was saying, you're a man of blood. David was. But what is also true is that God has graciously forgiven him of his sins. Hmm. My enemies increase, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're my glory and you are the lifter of my head. Hmm. Genesis chapter 40, verse 13, gives us a great help in understanding this passage of text. 
You may remember the story when Joseph is in prison, but hear this. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. He's interpreting a dream um, of one of his cellmates while he's in prison. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. See, lifter of my head has to do with being accepted. The Pharaoh will now accept you. You, Lord, are my glory. You are a shield. You, I've been accepted by you. You lift my head. You demonstrate that I am yours. So here's David. Oh, I got a lot of, I got a lot of problems. But you, O oh Lord, you protect me. I'm in covenant relationship with you by faith. What you think about me is what's important and you have accepted me. This is David encouraging himself in the midst of these trials. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. (laughs) I cried to the Lord. I love this because what were the people saying about David? They are saying there is no salvation for him in God, that God has abandoned him. But he's going, no, I cried to God anyways. And he hears me. They say God's abandoned me. But God, I cry to him, and he hears me out of his holy hill. And it's interesting how David says from the holy hill, which would, be, which would have been the hill of Jerusalem, where the, the temple was, that Absalom now has captured and taken over. Absalom now occupies the holy hill. But it is not Absalom who is enthroned on the holy hill. It is David's God. And while Absalom may be some sort of self-appointed king, God is the eternal king of the universe, and it is to you I cry, and you hear me. Absalom does not increase or decrease your authority or your power. God is God because he's God, not because of whoever rules or reigns. Absalom's will come and Absalom's will go, and God will still reign supreme. And here is David strengthening and encouraging himself. I cry to the Lord, and you hear me. You hear me even from, in the, from where my enemies dwell. You are not swayed by them. Spurgeon wrote this, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, we need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer hearing God. What a great phrase. We need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer hearing God. So let's pause because there's a Selah. Did you notice that? There's a Selah. It's a pause. So let's pause and let's think about God's promises. What has he said about those who have called upon his name, who have repented of their sins and been made children, sons and daughters of God? Um, Let's pause and think about the great promises that God has given to us.
The next verse begins with, I lay down and slept. (laughs) What an awesome line, I lay down and slept. Sleep perhaps is the pinnacle of freedom from anxiety, isn't it? If you have anxiety, if you are worried, you probably do not sleep well. You wake up in the middle of the night and you worry and you cannot, and you toss and you turn, you get back to sleep or you can't get back to sleep. You get up, you read a book, you do something to put yourself back to sleep because of anxiety. David has many foes that have surrounded him. His own son has betrayed him. But God, so I can sleep. It's the pinnacle of confidence. It's the pinnacle of freedom from anxiety. God, then it it goes on. It says, I I lay down and I slept and don't miss the next line. I awoke again. I love that. God has not abandoned him. God has sustained him even when he's at his most vulnerable. When we sleep, we are perhaps at our most vulnerable. When do people want to attack? When you're sleeping. David lays down. God defends him and protects him, and I wake up again. This is why it's called a morning psalm. God sustains the psalmist even when he sleeps. So I, awoke, I lay down, I slept, I awoke again. The Lord sustained me, and I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. Folks, I want you to understand, David understands the enemies exist. He's not saying that they've just disappeared and, hey, everything's great. The enemies are still there. They still want to kill David. I will not fear. I will not fear. Even in the midst of thousands of enemies, I will not fear. Reminds me of a, when Martin Luther went to Worms, he was um, told he was given safe passage to Worms. Um, where he would meet with perhaps some of the most powerful men in the Holy Roman Empire who were going to accuse him of very, very serious crimes. Now, they'd given him safe passage, but he also knew that that's not guaranteed. John Huss, a few um, previous to, to Luther, had been given safe passage, and they killed him. Basically, they would give you safe passage and then say, oh, but you're a heretic, and we don't have to give safe passage to a heretic. So Luther knew that going to Worms was very, very dangerous. In fact, when he got to the gates, he was a friend came out and said, don't go in there. (laughs) Don't go into the city. They're going to kill you. Luther responds, even if there are so many devils as the tiles on the roofs of the houses, I'm still going into the city. You will make a defense of his claims of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, on the merits of Christ alone. (laughs) Later in his life, when asked about this, he said, I was undaunted. I feared nothing. Think about what he has to fear. Being burned at the stake, that was probably what he thought was going to happen. Certainly, I can't think that he thought he was getting out of Worms alive. But he went in and he made his stand. They asked him about his books. They asked about his writings and he said, they are mine. And unless you can convince me through scripture and reason, I will not retract a thing I said. 
Here I stand, so help me God. Miraculously, they did not kill Luther. In fact, he uh, ended up going and translating the Bible into German, and we won't get into the whole story of that, but the danger was there, but I fear nothing. I don't even fear the uh, being burned at the stake. If that's what God has called me to do, that's what I'm going to do. David's like, I fear nothing. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people, not because I have some pie-in-the-sky, silly little idea, some positive confession that those people don't exist. No, they exist. It is real. You very well may die. I'm undaunted. But unless you think that David is just some passive individual in this, I just won't be afraid and passively accept whatever happens. Look at the next phrase. Arise, O Lord. Arise, O Lord. We find this in Numbers chapter. We find a a great reference in the book of Numbers here. And in Numbers chapter 10, verses 33 through 36, you all remember Numbers, right? And you remember chapter 10 vividly because we went through this. And so I know you're... It's been imprinted on your mind. But let me remind you, if you weren't here, when the people would set out, when Israel would set out from the wilderness, this is uh, what they would do. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the Ark set out, Moses said... Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands of thousands of Israel. When they set out, Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. It is a victorious call to battle and it is a call that God would lead out in the battle. I want you to know when God goes to battle with us, he does not lead from behind. He takes the front. And he goes before his people. And this is what David is saying. I'm not just some passive guy. Oh, whatever happens. Arise, O Lord. Go out. Go out before me. Notice what he says. Strike my enemies. We might have difficulties with this, but the idea here is to strike the enemy. This was a form of public disgrace. You can find some references there in Job 16.10 and Lamentations 3.30. The psalmist is seeking public vindication, turning humiliation upon the enemies. Strike them. Humiliate them. And then it says, break their teeth, or you break the teeth of the wicked. Now, this could be a literal God shattering their teeth that he's praying about. But I think we also see some, a number of scriptures, Job 29, 17, Psalm 58, 6, which talks about God breaking the teeth of the lion, which would render it powerless. It would take away its ability to destroy and consume. So whether we take that as we want God to actually knock out their teeth or we're saying render them powerless, humiliate them and render them powerless. Disarm them. I lay down. I slept. Arise. I'm not going to be afraid. Arise. Oh Lord. Go before me. Be my, be the one who goes out and humiliates those who have, 
who despise me and uh, shame me without cause, render them powerless. Psalm ends with salvation belongs to the Lord. So contrary to the first, to Psalm, or to the line, or chapter, verse 2, where it says there is so, no salvation for him in God. The second to last line is no salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is available to David and it comes from God alone. I want you to realize uh, this is something we emphasize greatly here at the church, that salvation is of the Lord. It is of God. It is by God's grace. It is not of works lest any man should boast. It is utterly and completely and thoroughly salvation is from God and God alone. And then he closes with this, your blessings be on your people, Selah. So let's pause. Let's consider how God has delivered us out of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. Let's pause. Having considered the words of this psalm, let me um, make a few gospel connections. It is helpful to follow David's example that is laid out in this psalm, but I want you to note that David points to a greater king who is to come. I don't know if you, if you caught this, but at the beginning of this message, I... I described to you David's route out of Jerusalem. Those weren't just information and they weren't just wasted words. David was rejected in Jerusalem. He fled. He crossed the Kidron Valley and he went up over the Mount of Olives. Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem. Demonstrated that he is the son of God and they rejected him. He left Jerusalem, crossed the Kidron Valley, and up to the Mount of Olives. And there in Gethsemane, he prayed. He'd been rejected by his own family, like David. John chapter 111 and 1921 says that Jesus came to his own, and his own rejected him. His own people rejected him. Not only his family like David, but the people rejected him just like David. I think David is pointing to the Christ who is to come. And in fact, in Matthew twenty-seven forty-three, what does Jesus cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But David's love for those who rejected him anticipates the Christ, anticipates Christ's love for those who have rejected him. Have you rejected Christ? I want you to know that the love of Christ overcomes even that rejection. 
and that he, if you will come to him in faith, he will in no way cast you out. Interesting. At the end of the psalm, David says, your blessing be on your people. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Not bless your people, but forgive my enemies. That, as he was being crucified, forgive them. See, our only hope of salvation is through the king that we have betrayed. And that king will forgive us of our sins, of our rebellion, of our usurping his throne, of denying him, even that, if you will come to him in faith, he will forgive even that. So let me give you a summary as we close. God may not save you from shame and death like he did David. There are many people who have been rescued from from the power of the enemy. There are just as many who haven't. As I mentioned earlier, God spared Martin Luther, but he didn't spare William Tyndale a few years later, didn't spare John Huss a few years earlier. At least from physical death. But the moment those men breathed their last breath, they heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Their reputations intact with the God of heaven. Their lives forever sealed by the promises of the God of heaven. See, our only hope of salvation is through the king that we have betrayed, and we do that through saying, Lord, I betrayed you. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And God may not save you from shame and death like he did David, but he will save you through shame and death like he did Jesus. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, get that, this light and momentary affliction. Paul's getting beat up. Momentary, light, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. Let's pause and consider Christ. And now, O Lord, we pray that you would imprint these words upon our hearts and upon our minds. I pray, Father God, that we would have confidence in you. I pray that when our many enemies abound, we say, but you, O Lord. And we remember of your be- the benefits of who you are and the benefits that flow to us through that. That you, Lord God, would comfort us so that we sleep and we are not anxious for anything that you rise and go before us and you protect us and you keep us. And we know the salvation belongs to the Lord.
So we give you praise and we give you thanks. We ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand and we will sing our final song. Now, as we get our benediction up on the screen that we will say together, let me remind you that after church, greet one another, um, love one another, and we will also meet together with one another down at the um, community center, which is just down the block, and we will feast together on all sorts of wonderful things. And, uh, well, it's not up there. I will just... Read the blessing, our benediction today. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So go in the peace of the Lord. You're dismissed. Be blessed.